Ben and Jerry's is a cool company. Yeah, they at more and more it's like, wow, that Ben and Jerry, they sure do have a Conan O'Brien flavored ice cream. You know, they'll they'll do a flavor for anybody. I uh, what? where's the zero credits? When you open it, it's just empty. Yeah, it's empty. Uh because we don't know how to make marketing happen. Uh zero credits flavor would be zero credits, uh 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 uh, cultural graham crackernings of the <laughs> zeit g g graham Gesher. cracker. <laughs> it's you open it and it's literally just graham crackers. There's no ice cream. It's frozen solid graham crackers. Yeah, that. Uh, the that uh, <laughs> the <laughs> the uh, the <laughs> what the fuck? Oh uh, no 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 no! I'll get through this. Ah, <laughs> uh, the uh, the the bitch you know as Sparkle is back. What? What? Anyway, do you want to? <laughs> what is this? Is this like my my Winter Soldier like trigger phrase? What? <laughs> Uh, anyway, Bulldozer Tenement Building, uh, Garden 7. <laughs> Garden State. <laughs> I wish I was here. What if there was a Winter Soldier? Uh, <laughs> what, what if the, what if, because the whole thing with, like, activation code words, like Manchurian Candidate stuff, is it's things you'd never accidentally say. Right, right. <laughs> uh... So what if they were like the Winter Soldier activation phrase is and the Oscar goes to Gili. <laughs> I very much enjoyed this Zach Braff movie. <laughs> <laughs> Zach Braff is the most talented director known to mankind. <laughs> Let's not rag on Zach Braff. He filmed something in uh, Mississippi or New Orleans or whatever. Oh yeah, what was it? Who cares? It was called like the Hallow la 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 lows. Uh in the Walla Walla Wallows. Anyway, I'll get through this. Uh this is the uh, end of the, the podcast. Bitch, you know, as Sparkle is back. I'll give you a countdown. That that gum you like is coming back in style. That gum you like is coming <laughs> that back. That bitch in you style. know what sparkle <laughs> is sparkle back. back. <laughs> <laughs> Zero Credits, an interim episode during our summer of Godzilla. My name is Henry. And my name is John. 
And together we're Henry and John coming at you to discuss the cultural happenings out there zeitgeist here on the show where we talk about things because I forgot to say our tagline. John, how are you? I'm good. I'm, one might say, starstruck. Ooh, ooh, we got some stars in his eyes, do we? What, how, what, you're seeing some stars? Is is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you know this, uh, listeners, fams, uh, but this is, of course, uh, the Zero Credits Oscar Spectacular, uh, where we will talk about everything about the 93rd Academy Awards, the slips, the spills, the slaps, the kills, every oh. category talked about in detail. Winners, no. losers, no, nominees, children. No. Uh, cut, wait, the mic, cut the mic. Cut the mic. I'm getting I'm getting word from the booth that we're not doing that. We're not doing that. No, um, no. Sorry. Uh, must You must open the wrong envelope. Uh that john oscar joke uh from years ago oscars are dead i'm hearing i'm getting word from the booth uh that the oscars are dead uh yes the 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 least watched oscars of all time uh so i believe that calls for a normal episode yes we are going to talk about the oscars some but uh yeah no let's get this out of the way uh the oscars are dead they're dead and, and it's it's a weird thing. No fault of what they're doing to the Oscars, I don't think. Because the Oscars have, like, this most recent one was the most diverse one I, I've ever seen. Featuring tons of um, shout-outs to artists of different creeds and nations and ethnicities, what have you. I don't know how to phrase this correctly because... No one ever taught me how to speak about this. I'm just real. This is a realization I'm having. That's why I always struggle with this. No one taught me how to talk about race. Yeah, I mean, we didn't grow up in a climate. I think as uh, we're not elder millennials, but we're like middle and millennials. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Um, we're middle, yeah, so- and middle, middle, Madeline, middle, <laughs> Madeline, millennials. All right. <laughs> millennials, I like yeah, it. Yeah, we're millennials, and as as millennials, really hard to say. I just tried uh, to open the beer I already opened again. <laughs> as as uh, as millennials, uh, I think that we were like last one of the last ones on or off the bus about learning to talk about race i don't know i i never had in my education uh, up until like the very tail end of college any uh even lip service paid to the idea that we should like talk openly and honestly about race everything was from the perspective of like a white uh cis heteronormative society so i have had to learn right. Yeah, there was that one book in kindergarten where like all of the all of these kids of different colors have to like work together and hold hands to make the world go round. But the colors were like the primary colors and the colors of the rainbow and stuff like that. That what wasn't you know literal skin colors and, and no one. It, we we got the lessons like you know it's okay to be different and treat everybody equally. But there's there was no lesson like here's the vocabulary, the accepted vocabulary and vernacular for how to discuss the different races, nationalities, ethnicities, 
that you might find in America, the the one country where all of them exist at the same time. <laughs> uh, yes, not the only uh, country, of course. So that every that other the- country is completely segregated. All of the English live in England. <laughs> yeah, well, that one's true. Uh, the, the, the race of the English, uh, I'm, I'm interested to see kind of in my life cause it's a move, a moving target, right. Talking about race because right. you it can, can yeah. you can make an effort to be inclusionary of like, uh, certain, certain ways of referring to people, but that might not be how they are most comfortable. And, uh, the worst thing you can do is, uh, be one of those people who refers to everyone as, uh, as like Hispanic or Latino, and then never understand that there are other ways people would prefer to be referred to. There are some people who uh, are perfectly fine identifying as that. Some people would like to be called something else. Yeah, it's just... I Again, so many times we've come to the point on the podcast where it's like, generalization doesn't work. It's not good. So there's no easy way to refer to all people, because maybe there shouldn't be a good way to refer to all people. Because yeah, I mean, that, I, uh, to do so is to erase the individual and automatically group people into a category they might not necessarily want to be in. All of which is to say, just it's a re- realization every time I like kind of like my words get caught in my throat when I talk about race is because no, I, I'm literally not equipped. Uh, I'm learning this on the fly. Yeah, it's it's a learning process, and all of that to say, boy, there was a lot of them at the Oscars. God damn it, you can't <laughs> say it like that. But no, it was real interesting. Again, there was no host. You know, they did the hostless Oscars, Oscars again, um, but they had a DJ who kind of emceed everything, which was basic. He was basically a host, uh, but it was DJ. I don't know if he's a DJ. It was Questlove. Oh hell yeah, that's great. Is he a DJ? Can I call him DJ Questlove? I just say musician, but he had like the turntables, wicked wicked. Oh, then he's DJing when he's on the turntables. Okay, he was DJing the Oscars. It was held in a train station. All of these people were they were seated at like three person to like this huge kind of like boofed table. All of the tables were kind of spread out. It was very interesting to see, and uh, the people who were presenting were just sitting on the floor. And when it was their turn to go up, they would their name would be called. They just got up from their table and took like five steps onto the stage, and they were on stage. Like it was very laid back and casual. Now this is an interesting uh, year for me because uh, you know me, I'm a little bit of an MG, a movie guy, and for this last year. I haven't been uh, as engaged with movies as I have been in the past. So much so that when I learned the Oscars were happening this year, uh, they had already been going on for an hour and a half. Two hours for us. Yeah, it was uh, (laughs) very interesting. I I had no idea whatsoever that the Oscars were happening. So when movie theater shut down last year in the wake of COVID, I kind of laughed because uh, we had the season pass for the Alamo Draft House, and we had seen pretty much every major release thus far for the year. And it was like Emma, Sonic the Hedgehog, and uh, Downhill, the the remake of Force Majeure, uh, starring Will Ferrell and Julie, Julie Louise Dreyfus. Julia Louise Dreyfus. Um, and it's like, like those three movies were all that came out. 
before everything shut down. And like, yeah, things premiered on streaming, but I don't make a habit of watching new releases on streaming for some reason because I like the theater experience, I, I guess. So I, I made the joke that the only movie that could be up for Best Picture is Sonic the Hedgehog. I mean, I think, was Birds of Prey 2020? Was it in the... Was oh, it within don't ask the, It was. Maybe know. it was in February. I think it was in February. But it would be interesting if it if it froze. However, what actually ended up happening was everything that uh, was nominated is movies that came out on streaming slash during the pandemic slash movies I haven't really ever heard of. I mean, I'm familiar so, with the title Nomadland. I don't know right. who directed it or what's it about. I'm yeah, sure so, it's good. I remember seeing Nomadland advertised on Hulu. Please, on like millennial. Big... <laughs> uh, no, Nomadland. Uh, it was advertised on the, the landing page of Hulu. And I'm like, okay, sure. And then I you know, clicked to just shoot me because I hate myself and I'm punishing myself with early 90s sitcoms. Or at least I was during that time period where I saw Nomadland. <laughs> highlighted on on hulu but yeah the the rest of these movies that are we're up for stuff like the best picture category which why do i have to scroll for that why is that not the where's the best picture cat where there it is um just looking at it not even like reading them out loud i have heard of three of them yeah and perhaps in passing i don't think i saw anything that was nominated for best picture i didn't either um, you got Nomadland, which won uh, something called The Father. Ah, uh, yes, The Father. There's a lot to say about that one. Apparently. Uh, you got Judas and the Black Messiah. That's one of them I've heard of. Mm-hmm. Definitely have heard of that. Mank. A, a movie I've heard people <laughs> reference, uh, not necessarily reference enjoying. Um... Minari, which I think believe that's the one Stephen Yoon was attached to. Uh, correct. Okay. Promising Young Woman, which is the second one I've heard of. Mm-hmm. I heard think of it's it, also, have not seen it. Also haven't seen it. Sound of Metal. Ah, uh, yes, the Riz Ahmed movie. Yes, yes, he's in it, which I learned last night. But if you would have told me there's a movie called Sound of Metal out there, uh, before last night, would have not known anything about it. And of course, uh, The Trial of the Chicago 7, which I heard of only because, again, Netflix had it on their splash lit landing screen, big banner thing. And then I quickly moved on to watch another episode of New Girl. Uh, now, I, I don't know that I can speak to your desire to watch New Girl slash Just Shoot Me. Uh, but... Something that I was examining in myself, and this is something that I had uh, been talking to a couple people about, uh, now that at least in the United States with 29% of people receiving both vaccine doses and things opening back up and like us returning to some level of normalcy, uh, I have been able to look back at the ways that I changed my behavior during 2020. And let me tell you, as it relates to the Oscars, a major thing that happened is I would hear of an interesting movie uh, that seemed to come from some pedigree and people were talking about. And my only thought is, that seems like a pretty big emotional commitment. I don't know that I have the bandwidth for that, which is not a thing I used to feel about movies at all. 
Right, right. So it, maybe to, that's why I never watched The Father. To to me, oh, I, one the marketing for these movies just did not exist. You, you know, um, one of the biggest ways I learned about new movies is going to the movies and watching trailers, and mm-hmm. I couldn't do that. And I don't seek out trailers, but even if I did, none like I usually see trailers on Twitter or Reddit. And none of these movies even like made a blip on any of my internet kind of thing. So I just didn't know they existed, you know? And I feel like in, in some ways there's been like a stripping away of the artificialities of life in that I've always cared pretty deeply about the Oscars, even though I've always uh, pretty openly called them out for being uh, problematic and maybe not good for movies. Uh, but now not having seen these movies and not really having the emotional bandwidth to invest in them, the Oscars just feels like a, a pointless piece of background radiation to everything else that's happening. Like, I don't care about the Oscars this year at all. Yeah. It's a little bit of a shame that we're hitting this level of peak indifference to the Oscars because finally the Oscars are nominating, you know, not just... That the nominees are, are, are they're more inclusive than ever. Um, for the second time ever, uh, a, a woman director won best directing. I guess this is, says directing. Best director went to to I'm going to say Chloe Zhao. I think it's or Zhao. Zhao. Okay, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. No, God damn it. Nomadland. It's oh, Nomadland. sorry. She she has a, she has an accent ague like over the e, so it's Chloe. Jack. Is it Chloe? I have no idea. <laughs> okay, so she won for for Nomadland, which is really great. Um, and like for best actor, the nominees included such names such as Stall for Time, uh, Riz Ahmed, mm-hmm. Chadwick Boseman, rest mm-hmm. in peace. Gary Oldman, who's, you know, always up there. And then Steven Diversity Yeun. win, for sure. Gary Oldman. D- yeah. It's, well, he's a chameleon, so we don't know quite exactly who he is. Uh, Steven Yeun, and then, uh, of course, Anthony Hopkins. Yes. And, uh, you know, Anthony Hopkins won. But a really interesting thing happened. Did you manage to catch the end of the Oscars? I've I heard that it ended, like unceremoniously like a zoom meeting so so here's the thing normally the order of awards is such that you do like best actress or best actor or best actor and best actress one of those two and then you end with best picture yeah best picture is the last oscar because that's what the whole thing is fucking about right right and also there's this you know people like to speculate oh you know usually the one who the 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 Usually the award for best director, usually that movie like will go on and be the best movie or like the best actor will go on and be the best movie. Um, but they did best picture before actress and actor. So weird. So weird. It's like ending and, the Super Bowl on a coin flip. Right, right. So they announced Nomadland, winner of the best picture. It was like, oh, okay. And then the, the very next award was Best Actress. And, and like, you, you read through Actress in a Leading Role, you, you read through the, the, the nominees. You got Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman. 
Vanessa Kirby for not, unfortunately not for Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw, uh, but instead for instead for Pieces of a Woman, uh, you've got Andra Day for the United States versus Billie Holiday. It was her first movie ever, and she got nominated for an Oscar. Um, and of course, Viola Davis, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, and then Frances McDormand for Nomadland. So obviously. Frances McDormand's going to win because her movie won Best Picture. Yeah, you would assume. Totally took out... She did. She did win. Totally took out all the tension for that moment because we already knew Nomadland won Best Picture. And then the final award for the night was actor in a supporting role. And the only thing you can kind of think that the producers thought was going to happen, maybe Chadwick... Bose Bossman, God, wow! Wait, was was the final one best supporting actor or best actor? Sorry, actor in a leading role. Okay, I just say because like Daniel Kaluuya won supporting actor, and Daniel Kaluuya badly deserves that Oscar. Oh yeah, I, no, I never saw sure. Judas and the Black Messiah, but Daniel Kaluuya is so good, just so yeah, good. To just to read the uh, the the nominees for actor in a supporting role, you got Daniel Kaluuya, Kaluuya Sasha Baron Conan. Not for Borat, but for the, the trial <laughs> of the, the Chicago 7. It's so unbelievable to me that we can live in a world where Sasha Baron Cohen is Oscar nominated. He deserves it. Uh, there are a few yeah. people in Hollywood who work as hard as Sasha Baron Cohen. He's a the, genius. The, Not like a funny, genius actor, but I think he's actually a genius as far as like a like The funny the thing is that is. His, his co-star in uh, Borat's subsequent movie film Delivery of Prestigious Bribe to American Regime for Make Benefit at Once Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan, uh, Maria Bakl- Bakalova, that's the butcher, uh, she got nominated for actress in a supporting role. Oh, incredible. But he got nominated for actor in a supporting role for a different movie. Anyway, uh, but then you got Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami. Leslie Odom oh. Jr., once again, incredible. incredible. The only person on Best Supporting Actor who I do not think is one of the best people working today is Paul Racy, because I don't uh, know who he is. I don't know who he is. Sound the metal. Again, nothing. know very little about that movie. And then, uh, is this Lakeith Stanfield? Yeah, Lakeith Stanfield. Okay. From Judas and the Black Messiah. So, like, very, you know, inclusive cast of characters. Those are actual people. Uh, cast of actors and, and that award but yeah the only thing you could think the producers were thinking was that maybe posthumously chadwick boseman was going to win actor in a leading role and maybe they would have this big tribute lined up uh but then anthony hopkins won and he didn't show up because he didn't see the risk like why take the risk yeah if you're 90 years old and you've lived an amazing life why would you go to yet another oscars i if my memory serves right i think anthony hopkins he's only got one oscar i think it's for like remains of the day or something he's got one oscar he's been nominated six times yeah i was gonna say he's been nominated five or six times so like why would you go to another oscars if you might die right it's you know i no fault to him it what it's not it's not even it's not his fault that he won and then the Oscars was over. They they kind of like they announced it. Um, it, it was uh, Joaquin Phoenix. He did the the presentation of the award. Like he announced it and then you know immediately turned to the. Oh camera no! And said, did he, the Academy have to accept it on his behalf? The Academy accepts it on his behalf, and then he just walked off stage, 
And then DJ Questlove wrapped it up. He's like, you know, we had fun tonight. Uh, that's it. The credits roll. <laughs> uh, incredible. I feel like maybe I'm being naive. And I also want to use this space to get a little bit mad. Do it. Uh, I think everyone's in agreement that Chadwick Boseman was an incredible talent uh, objectively, uh, not even taking into account the personal uh, struggles that he had, both like personally and physically with his health. Chadwick Boseman, just incredible. You can't. If you're a governing body for an awards-based institution, you absolutely cannot invite the family of someone who's an incredible talent, who has passed away tragically, invite them to this thing, offer to them one of, if not the most prestigious awards in the field they dedicated their lives to, and then just give it to an old white guy who probably doesn't care that much because he's had maybe the most distinguished acting career of any living actor outside of maybe Daniel Day-Lewis. You can't do it. I feel like right. there has to have been a mistake. You I, can't. So, so the producers don't know the results beforehand. They always make a big deal of bringing those accountants out, and the accountants have yeah, the Price case. Yeah, PricewaterhouseCoopers, who's never yeah. fucked anything up. Uh, whatever. I, I don't know about them. I, I think the whole thing is a sham. Like, the producers... Maybe one producer gets to know and like they speak up and they're like, maybe we shouldn't change the order of the awards. Like there should be some oversight. But even if there isn't, even if you're hinging your bet that mate that Chadwick Boseman won Best Actor and so you're going to do this big tribute. Did you the in memoriam section or, or segment of this Oscars was like glossed over in a year where we lost so many people to 300 million people across the world died of COVID. Yeah. Half a million in our own country. Yeah. Half a million in our own country and and the in memoriam, they sped through those names so quick. There wasn't even time to read some of them And, and, and like huge shock waves sent through our household because we remembered the likes of Fred Willard passed away. Fred Willard, Cicely Tyson, like Sean Connery is dead. Irfan Khan. So many people. Um, and they ended on Chaswick Bozeman, but unlike in previous years where like the in memoriam kind of like it, it has a staying power, like someone is singing during Yeah, there's it. usually a live song. And, and like they'll play clips from those people's careers to like remind you of just the gravitas they had on the screen. None Wilford of that. Wilford Brimley died. Wilford Brimley died, yes. Um none of that none of that existed. It it was Literally, like a, it felt like five minutes of names going by so quickly with no fanfare, and, and like there's your, there's where you can give a tribute to Chadwick Boseman, regardless of if he wins or not. Like that was your space to do that instead of 
maybe hinging your bets by changing the order of the awards only to have it go to Anthony Hopkins, which by all accounts from what I've read online, absolutely earned the award that he won. See, this is why I think this branches out to reality TV shows about pottery. Uh, But I feel like you have to allow for a certain amount of thematic subjectivity when it comes to judging art, because clearly no one is happy. I think uh, Anthony Hopkins has even had to release a statement apologizing to the family of Chadwick Boseman for winning an award. What he did was, um, and I'm sure this was at the behest of his publicist, he gave... Uh, like an award, like um, I guess it's an award speech. He he recorded one from his house and released it this morning, and made special care to mention the family of Chadwick Boseman, and, and like shout shout out his career and, and the tragic loss. But you you have to you know that the like his agent his people probably like got together. It's like we got to do something because the internet is like. They're lashing out against our our 90-year-old client who probably won't work again. But if he does, that's 10% for us, baby. Yeah, I mean, if if he ever works again, he'll be in... If he could do what he did to Westworld, showing up in a couple episodes for a couple minutes and infinitely elevating that show's first season, we've got a real real can. And also Kirk Douglas, Olivia de Havilland died. So many... Kirk Douglas is dead? Yeah, Kirk Douglas died. Death of a Salesman. Yeah. Hal Holbrook died a lot of it's. We're getting to that point where uh, a lot of people that we really enjoy their work are going to start passing away. Um, I mean, if not from COVID, from life. Jamie noticed for the first time ever, not the first time ever, but she noticed that an animator had passed away. I was like, oh, no, that's going to start happening more and more because animation is so huge now. Like. Uh, they're going to be really like big animators passing away in, in spades pretty soon. I mean, that's absolutely going to be true. A lot of faces that we see watching through old uh, Disney Imagineer documentaries, unfortunately, uh, will be passing away. You know what? No one does anymore and is totally within their rights to do and maybe would have been a stronger move politically for Anthony Hopkins is refusing an Oscar. I I know in history only like three people or five people have done it, but like, I think that if you were Anthony Hopkins, if you refused the Oscar and and put out a statement saying that you truly, genuinely believe that Chadwick Boseman deserved it, that would have been the better move. Because Anthony Hopkins has been, Anthony Hopkins has had arguably the most lauded career in acting uh, maybe in history, or at least as far as living actors go, pull a Marlon Brando, refuse the Oscar right. because of like Native American rights, like refuse it. Who cares? Yeah, it, it, it would have. It, yeah, you know, he probably didn't think anything of even being nominated because again, he's been nominated like six times, one one time years ago, decades ago. Also, we can't stress this enough. He's like ninety. He's like he 90. doesn't care that much about too many yeah. things. But it, you know, if he had the forethought, maybe he could have said like, "I like ref- if I win, I refuse the. I'm not going to be there, 
But, uh, you know, here's the instructions. I refuse the award. Give it to the family of Chadwick Boseman, and uh, I'm going to move on with my life. Yeah. That would have been cool. It, it would have been a very cool, strong move for his brand. Yeah. Uh, now it just feels like a lot of people are... Mad like, at him for no reason. They're mad at him for no reason. A lot of people are, like, doing damage control. Like, a lot of people are having to defend the reasoning behind the Academy making the choice that they did. And if we're being honest, no one knows the criteria that the Academy uses to judge, uh, to judge their categories other than price waterhouse Cooper. But like I said, I think that with art being so perfectly subjective, there is room for not making an objective choice if, let's be honest, it makes your award show that happens once a year like more impactful or more positive to society. I don't think Anthony Hopkins winning that award makes society better. I, I think no. it puts a lot of people on the back foot and is probably like a net negative for society. But yeah, it, yeah award shows don't produce any positive value for the normal person they could really, though they could sure i i hear your argument just by design though they really only mean anything to the people who are nominated and the people who win yeah it, it's just tough because like award shows are a primary vector for representation in an art form and if we're saying that representation really matters then representation should matter and who wins awards yeah, and so, also like the the nominees and who won this year yeah. is like it most it, so J- jamie pointed out most diverse you know nominees we've ever had the, the the presentation is very inclusive best actor went to two white people yeah uh and i mean like francis mcdormand deserves it i think francis mcdormand is maybe the most talented I think she- living actor I think she's great. I loved her in Three Billboards. Uh, maybe stop nominating her because she has nothing to say. She wins an award. She gets up there. She takes the award, and one like she's just like, yeah, okay, another award. Um, all right. I mean, I, th- I think like, that there's an unfortunate truth here that we can all metabolize: is white people who are excellent at their jobs might not have the most to say. <laughs> Yeah, that, yeah. Francis Francis McDormand was like, you know, this is just I I like to work. This is my work. Thank you for letting me keep working. Here's yeah. a shout out to my wolf pack. She did a wolf howl, and then she walked off the stage. It's uh, it's just very strange. It, it's it's very strange how. I imagine the Academy must view this as an objective practice when it's just not. And the, like, what if behind the scenes at the Academy, let me, let me entertain a thought. Paint, paint me a picture. So no one other than price waterhouse coopers actually knows because it, it has to be a numeric system, uh, that the Academy committee uses to determine the winners of each category. But, what if behind the scenes they show them pictures of the actors and maybe the entire movie, maybe a 15 second clip that says for your consideration at the bottom. And then they rate it on uh, like it, love it or gotta have it. 
oh no. <laughs> They're like, gotta have more than Anthony Hopkins. Oh, Anthony Hopkins. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Gotta have more of it. Yeah. What they actually do is, uh, since 2018, they sit the Academy Committee down, which, as we know, uh, is uh, comprised of entirely old white men. Uh, and they force them all to play through the entirety of Near Automata. And then <laughs> uh, they record their thoughts and then translate that into Who Wins Awards. It's yeah, a good maybe. game. It's a good game. It's a great game. Yeah. But I, I think as a whole, the, the, the grand night of the celebrities and them winning awards, it, it might be coming to a close. Like I, I jokingly said the Oscars are dead, but this was the least watched and lowest rated Academy Awards ever. Um, a paltry 10.4 million people tuned in. That is more than a 50% job drop from last year. Yeah, I think their viewership was almost, it's slightly higher than a third of the people who watched it from, from figures that I was seeing. Right, uh, right. And I don't mean to extrapolate this out to how we're all dealing with being in a global pandemic, but I just feel like I care about a lot of things a lot less than I did a year ago. A lot of things feel a lot more fake and pointless than they did, which the flip side of that is a lot of things feel more, a lot more genuine than they did. Right. I, I value a lot of things a lot more, but like, if you talk to people coming out of the great depression, would they care about award shows? No. Yeah. I think people have um, a limited amount of energy. They can invest in things. And since the pandemic and, and quarantining, sheltering in place, all, all of these things, we've, we've had to, invest our energy into new areas where we're now worried about our, our personal health and staying healthy and all of these precautions and staying busy during quarantine and things like that. And there was less opportunity to invest our energy in movies this year, other than the ones that were released, like maybe on Hulu or something that weren't contenders for these best pictures. And so less energy in, invested in, in these this this area of the art house films and Oscar bait produced less engagement overall with the Oscars. I mean, I, I would almost wonder if the standpoint that I think a fair number of people have, which is I just kind of watch whatever I want and it doesn't really matter. I almost wonder if that's a more enlightened take than me, uh, someone who... Uh, if we're being totally honest, would try to watch every movie that I would consider being nominated for an Oscar. I think you were present at the Oscar party. I don't know. I, I try to make bets, and I typically clean up at Oscar parties because I spend a lot of time thinking about this shit. Right. And I don't know that that has been a useful uh, direction for my energies to be focused in. Like, I, I really, I really don't think so. Well, I just, I, I feel like, you know, life has changed in some regard because of this pandemic. Things are different. Lives have been completely altered. And so I feel like we're going to find ourselves caring about new things and different things. And our priorities are just in a different place. And sure, I did tune in for the latter part of the Oscars, but I 
no part of me really enjoyed it. And I think I'm at a point where unless I see a movie during the year that I really want to champion and it like it by some miracle, the Academy also recognizes it as being having merit. I, you know, like maybe into the spider verse two. Yes. That's up when that's up for best animated movie. Maybe I'll tune into that one just to see like if it's good, not the movie. I'll see the movie before the award show. Yeah, I, I truly <laughs> one one would hope. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll tune in to see if the rest of the world thinks it's good, and that's only to really validate my opinion, which is that's not healthy. Seeking outside validation for the opinions I have, but we all do it. I I would wonder. I, I going into the next year, I think that we all have to allow ourselves. We have to have a personal allowance for sliding into old habits because I think you and I can agree and we have agreed thus far that a lot of our personalities, our interests have changed in the pandemic. But we also have to understand there are some things about our old lives that maybe we don't appreciate that we're going to slot back into really easily. So maybe next year we'll be excited about the Oscars. We'll have used our dumb little Alamo season pass to see a lot of stuff, which by the way, I'm actually going to try to go to the Alamo draft house. Now that I got that vaccine before the variants hit, you got uh, the, you got, you got that two week, two week grace period or to waiting period after the second shot. Yep. I've, uh, I mean, Hell I've yeah. been vaccinated now for like a month. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you get to that theater before the variants hit. Yeah. Uh, that 16, 17 or whatever, but I wonder if next year we'll just be the people we were before. How much we'll actually uh, learn from this, I don't really know. But it, no, I mean okay, that gives me some really genuine anxiety that we're all going to just slide back into our normal routines and no one's going to learn anything. And like that's threatening to happen. Like both of our jobs have already contacted us about coming back into the office, and it's just like, did we not learn that we can? We could do this job out of the office and be even more productive or just as productive. And like it literally does not affect the bottom line at all. Why is this a thing that needs to happen? I mean, this is something that I've been struggling with over the last few weeks since my work sent out the return to office email, which uh, to be perfectly clear, I really make no bones about returning to office. I know that it's something that's essential to my role, but I have also found myself kind of emotionally and ideologically slotting back into the person I was before. And I think that the worst thing we can do uh, is not metabolize anything that being in a pandemic taught us. And it taught us a lot. Like I went through more in the pandemic than maybe like 50% of people did. But when looking at things, there are lessons from all of this that I don't want to forget. Uh, there, there are lessons about the the things that I don't want out of life that I don't want to just slot back into the easy, indoctrinated, inoculated flow of like our day to day lives. Like I, I want to maintain a certain degree of freedom, emotional freedom that I discovered in the pandemic, and I, I wish the same for everyone. Like, don't accept easy answers. You've lived through the hardest year of your entire life and learn lessons from it and take people to task if they violate your expectations. That's, that's all I want for people. Here, here. 
Like in the first three months of the pandemic, people held every corporation's feet to the fire so much places closed down. Places gave employees like spot thousand dollar bonuses because people were upset. The even though we were dying en masse during the pandemic, the pandemic taught us that we are so strong together. Uh, it's unfathomable. So if just, only, just yeah. remember that people came together in the pandemic and after this is over, don't let yourself be like scattered to the wind and, and once again fall into this like indoctrinated individualistic American myth. And just remember that there was a long time where millions of people were baking bread and helping each other, <laughs> mutual aid networks like there was a time when we saw past all this stuff and we saw the underlying connections that made all of this shit work. So don't let people lie to you. I get strangely nostalgic for the first couple of months of the, of the pandemic when we were all going through exactly the same thing. Like we were all locked up. It couldn't go anywhere for the first time, probably in our lives. And we, so we turned to the internet and it's like, oh, they're baking bread. Oh, doing yoga with whoever that was. And Adrian. And then like that documentary. First of all, how out. dare you disrespect yoga with Adrian, the uh, a local hero. John, shut up. <laughs> I'm just saying I see. I don't yoga remember. That yoga documentary came from, out. We, from we Austin, all... Texas. We want to keep it local. We all got very interested in Tiger King and Carol Baskins, and I never watched the documentary, but other people did, and it's all anyone ever talked about forever, and now a movie is being made with Kristen Wiig to commemorate that we all watched that documentary, and then like Palm Springs came out, and it was like, oh, that's a pretty good movie, Palm Springs, and we wouldn't have probably watched it unless it came out during the pandemic. Like, those first couple of months were magic. Because it's like finally the world kind of understands a little bit what it's like to be me. And I never want to go out. I never want to be surrounded with people. I never want to talk to people. You finally all kind of get it just a little bit. And then, of course, all the extroverts had to go and ruin it with a vaccine. I mean, I, I think that for... I don't know. For total transparency... Uh, the, the entirety of the pandemic, a very bad time for me, but I would yeah. want the rest of my life to be lived as the person I became during the pandemic. Like without question, the person I was when all of this started, I don't like that person and I don't want to be that person anymore. And I don't want to slot back into that easy life. And I'm sure there are people who I don't know, maybe they're uncomfortable with a certain amount of emotional honesty with themselves for what has changed over the last year. And I'm sure there are people for whom nothing has changed. But I just don't want us to just do the thing we used to do again. Because we're never going to get an opportunity like we have right now to do it differently. You know? Right. Yeah, you yeah, know, there's not, there's not going to be... Well, you know, fingers crossed. It's like not... the Death Star blew up. It's like if in Star Wars the Death Star blew up and then people... Uh, let's do Return of the Jedi. The prototype, the the in-construction Death Star blew up and people on Endor was like, 
huh, well, I guess I'll keep working for the Empire. <laughs> like something serious has yeah. happened and you don't want to be the people who slot back in to your, like, I don't know. I don't like to use the word slavish, uh, but you're like the lives you had before. I, I don't want people to just go back to those. Uh, and there, and there's only so many uh, limitedly eloquent ways I can put that. I feel like I keep making the same point. Just don't do it. Don't go back. Just be the weirdo you became in quarantine. Bake your bread. <laughs> Forget how to talk to people. Go to the same co-op brew pub you've been to for the rest of your life and never talk to anyone. Just just be the weirdo you became in quarantine. Don't be afraid of, of the person that you turned into. I had a moment of pure shock uh, this past weekend. Uh, we ordered um, food from one of our favorite restaurants. It's a Tex-Mex place. It's pretty good. And uh, we ordered online and we go to pick it up and we pull into the, you know, the curbside slot and dial the number and say, hey, we're here for our pickup order. Only for the person on the other side to say, we no longer do curbside pickup. Oh, no, I haven't had that yet. And the the. The sad thing is my first thought was, well, then I guess I'll stop doing my tipping because I I was like, I got really into tipping to restaurants during the pandemic because it's like, oh, we're keeping them open because not a lot of, not a lot of people are are eating in restaurants. And so it's like, but if I have to walk in to get my food and all you did was prepare it. Oh no. I don't feel like I should tip. But that's exactly what you're saying, though. That's the old me rearing my ugly head to be like, this isn't what it was like before. Why would you keep being overly generous to places you like just because you like them? It's keep your 20% and your pocket you're saying don't be like that and continue tipping because, well, it is, you know, it's a good place. I want it, I do want it to remain open and I, well, I love their food and I have had places close on me before and that sucked. I, I mean, oh. to, to share like some perspective in you telling that story, my initial thought was, oh, they're not doing curbside anymore. They don't care about you. You shouldn't tip. And then this is the instinct that's going to be so hard for us to go back on is to not look at every interaction like a transaction, right? Is, right? is to look at things like the things we learned. I've spent so much money on restaurants, particularly breweries that I love over the last year in merchandise, online gift cards, orders, buying things I don't need, tipping in excess of like 30% sometimes. And all of this has been like, I love this place. I want to go here. It's not a transaction. I want you desperately to stay open and not only to stay open, but to thrive. And I think the fact of our world is that every business is under threat like it was in the coronavirus. Right. Like even though restaurants are like higher, like surge hiring right now because things are about to open back up. I don't know. I, I've given a lot of money to charities, mutual aid groups, restaurants. And once this is over, 
Am I going to go back to thinking like, well, they haven't done anything for me, so why should I give them any money? It's like, motherfucker, for the last year and a half, they haven't done anything for you, and you've supported the hell out of them. What changed? Yeah, no, it's true. And that's that's exactly what you're speaking to. It's just just like, yeah, we all went through this, this collective crisis together. Let it let the lessons that we learn during it carry forward when things are good. And you know, a lot of people won't do it, but that's why we got to do it all the more. We got to do it more and louder. Yeah. Yeah. More and louder. That's, that's everything as loud and as much as possible. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It, it's so hard because I, I think that we can both agree that we live in, uh, arguably the most indoctrinated society on earth. Uh, it's it ain't easy to be from the USA. No, no, and, I, and it's, I, it's hard day. to fight against those myths. But also keep in mind, even in the pandemic, there were shitheads. There were people who would go to certain oh, yeah. unbelievable bars every weekend. <laughs> no, uh, but the anti-maskers, tip, anti-maskers, anti-vaxxers, assholes yeah. have always been here. We just have to remember that after all this is over, we don't have to become the assholes. Right. We don't. The have assholes to be... are going to be different, and they're going to look like our friends. We don't have to beat the percentage of people who are going to keep us from reaching herd immunity because they're anti-vax. Oh, you mean the depending on the study, anywhere from 40 to 60 percent of Americans? Yeah. Isn't that a kick in the teeth? Yeah, doesn't that fucking suck? I feel like we were talking about the Oscars and then we started talking about the pandemic a lot. But you know what? If we're going to talk about what's happening in the world, (laughs) uh, it's probably us being at the tail end of a worldwide horrifying pandemic. And life is changing and we need to accept that. And to that end, John, I have breaking news for you. What a segue. (laughs) I'm the best, Adam. John... And the what? Academy Award for Best Segway oh, goes to I, I defer. I defer. Anthony Hopkins. God damn it! I didn't even get to defer. <laughs> um, John, gun to your head. What would you? Oh my god! There's a gun to my head. Which movie would you say is the best of all time? You know, without parallel, the greatest classic film. <laughs> ever to exist what a completely impossible question to ask a gun to your head you're a what film is the teacher. best most peerless movie ever made what's your go-to answer oh uh, that's a tough one best movie come on okay it's just... just the one that everyone goes to come on oh you mean the one that people other than me would say Yes, the people other than you. Kane, maybe? Not anymore, motherfucker. <laughs> okay, great. Citizen Kane loses its perfect to- Rotten Tomato score thanks to a resurfaced 80-year review. That's right. It had 100% fresh. No more. 99% is what it gets because a new review, a single negative review that was recently unearthed as part of the site's archival project – uh, has tanked the score. The project discovered a Citizen Kane review that ran in the Chicago Tribune in 1941. Uh, so, just to be clear, as far as the uh, 
this is part of the uh, critics score, right? Which can only right. be within like a certain year band of the movie's release, if I right. understand Rotten Tomatoes correctly. Also, just as a quick aside, did I actually play into your segue perfectly? Because I've uh, yes, never done did. that in this no, podcast you, ever you, before. You it was really good. Thank you. We Thank really you nailed it. Part. We really, really nailed it. it. The review's headline is incredibly on point given the circumstances, quote, Citizen Kane fails to impress critic as greatest ever film. <laughs> I love it. Um, if that sounds like somebody, like somebody went to the theater of rather high expectations, the review confirms as much. Quote, you've heard a lot about this picture and I see by the ads that some experts think it the greatest movie ever made, reads the review. I don't. It's interesting. <laughs> it's different. In fact, it's bizarre enough to become a museum piece, but its sacrifice of simplicity to eccentricity. Eccentricity. Thank you. I'm assuming. Yes. Robs it of distinction and general entertainment value. <laughs> <laughs> I love a contrarian in the 1940s. Oh, the the critic apparently didn't put their real name on the piece, but used the common at the time pseudonym May Tenay. May oh, I've Mat never heard Matinee. Oh, matinee. like Matinee, yeah. Yeah, because it said in per- the, this article from the Hollywood Reporter says in parentheses, say it aloud. Yeah, I gotcha. So uh, like people in the 1940s really didn't know how to be how to be cute with wordplay. I got it. Right. So Citizen Kane is no longer the greatest film ever made. Guess what is? Oh, do you want me to genuinely guess? Because I have a couple. This, I mean, I, I went from a, like a narrow sort of subset, like the greatest film of all time that everyone always says, everyone kind of named Citizen Kane. And now I've opened it up to every movie that has ever existed. However, Go. it's got to be every movie that's always existed with an exceptional critic score. Right. So it's got to be something without objectionable content. So I'm going to say it has to be something rated PG-13 or below. I don't think it's R-rated. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, I almost want to say... Something beloved that a lot of people very much enjoyed. I've actually got my two guesses. I've genuinely got my two guesses. Because I think that it's got to be a a kid's movie, because they generally, statistically, have a higher rating. People people like to feel good, man. I'm going to say it's either Paddington or Toy Story. Oh, you're so close. Are you kidding me? You are so on point. Wait, was it Toy Story 3? Toy Story... No, Toy Story 3. Wrong No, franchise. what? It was Paddington? Was Paddington... it Paddington? Hold no, on. No, Paddington 2? Paddington 2 oh is now God. the top-rated film on Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> at 100% across the board. You were so close. You got it, basically. I mean, Paddington, I've never actually seen Paddington 2, but Paddington is, number one, an incredible movie, but also very, very well-reviewed. Yeah, people love it. People love this Paddington 2 movie. Um, I've never seen either of them, but why would the sequel do better than the original? Who knows? Yeah, I've never seen Paddington 2. I would highly recommend actually watching Paddington. it's It's a pretty great movie. Maybe we'll make time for it around... What movie do I have to watch this weekend? 
Godzilla? Uh, Kong Skull Con- Island. Okay. Maybe we'll make some time for it around Skull Island, but... Uh, I genuinely cannot believe I was so close with Pat. You were so close. You were basically there. That is I don't even fault. I don't even fault you for not thinking of the sequel first, because who would? Yeah, I mean, sequels, statistically speaking, uh, wow, Paddington, just Paddington, has a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes, so I was close. Oh, that's no Paddington, too. It's no Citizen Kane, let me tell you that. So now now I, w- I want the first, you know, on all these film lit classes, I want bona fide professors with their PhDs and all their research and all their accolades to stand up and on the first day of class say the greatest movie of all time is Paddington 2. <laughs> and yes. this course is going to be examinations of films that try to as- aspire to its greatness. Yeah, you know, the the greatest film of all time, Paddington 2. Exactly. Citizen Kane, not even really worth discussing anymore because while interesting... It does not have an animated bear. I mean, let me tell you, Orson Welles, uh, second place's first loser, so uh, get out of here. Get out. You've had your time in the sun. It's time for Paddington 2 director... Uh, Orson Welles. That would... Man, that would be really funny. That would be a hell of a hat um, trick, considering he's been dead for quite some time. Uh, uh, to, um, uh, get a, Paul uh, King. Director Paul P A U L K I N G Paul King. That's right, Paul King. It's time for your 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 time in the sun. It looks like he really hasn't. Oh my God! Do you know what Paul King directed? Uh, oh, this is I'm, incredible! Wait, don't 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 I, read I'm it. Not, I have to tell okay. you. Okay, I'm not I'm not gonna be good at guessing this. Um. I don't know. Just tell me. Uh, so before uh, directing uh, two BAFTA-winning films, Paddington and Paddington 2, the biggest things that uh, Paul King directed is Garth Marenghi's Dark Place and what? The Mighty Boosh. What? Uh, two... Of the best British what? comedy series, Paul King directed a number of episodes of both of them, and then went on to direct Paddington and the best film of all time, Paddington 2. Darth Marenghi's Dark Place is one of the best things I've ever watched. Not as much of a fan as The Mighty Boosh, but I really like Noel Fielding, and I really yeah. like Richard Ayuade, and they were in both series. Um, actually, Richard Ayuade was in dark place and mighty boosh had no fielding in it but uh yeah no all wow what <laughs> yeah and you know hail let, to the paul king baby let's uh let's not undersell julian barrett who was the other half of mighty boosh who was in the incredible bbc original series flowers uh the mighty boosh incredible garth Marenghi's dark place one of the best tv shows uh all hail paul king I don't see Darth Marenghi's Dark Place on his IMDb. Uh, it says he directed six episodes of it. Hmm. Strange. Maybe he didn't. Maybe it's just what? the Mighty Boosh. 
Confusing. Oh, he did direct Space Force? Eee. Two episodes of Space Force, which I tried to watch. It was uh, it, it was there. They put a lot of money into Space Force. They put Jim Carrey in it. Jim Carrey's not in Space Force. What's his name? Steve Carell. There we go. And also um, John Malkovich. Yeah, John Malkovich is in it. Also Ben Schwartz, which is kind of the reason why I watched it, because I just wanted to follow his career for a second, because he's very funny. But that's neither here nor there, John. Speaking of people who are going to get Oscars, him. I mean, I honestly thought Sonic the Hedgehog had a shot, but I realized realized that uh, it's not an animated film. It just has an animated character in it. Yeah, unfortunately, if you look back through history, live-action films with animated characters, uh, they don't qualify for any Oscars. Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Cool World, um, Space (laughs) Jam, Space Jam, never got anywhere. You would think the Golden Globes, which, you know, throws caution into the wind when it comes to actually adhering to their categories, would have a category of, like, Best film with an animated character in it. You would think. They did almost make a category just so Who Framed Roger Rabbit would win. And that was uh, Hottest Cartoon Rabbit, Boner, Boner, Boner. Uh, She wasn't a rabbit. Her last name was Rabbit. Yeah, because they they, they were married. Then they, uh, they presaged Space Jam coming out. In which everyone would find a rabbit attractive again. And then, of course, when they make the remake of Space Jam, everyone gets upset because the rabbit isn't sexy enough. Yeah, we didn't talk about that because it makes me uncomfortable to talk about. But, I mean, in this day and age, look, femininity is is, is fluid. It's different. It doesn't have to be big bazongas and big who's a what's it's. And, you know, it, it, you could, anyone can be feminine now. It's great. Listen, I just think it's it's kind of telling when a lot of people with small teeth get upset because they they took the they they took the rabbit's big naturals away. Like, who cares? Yeah, like, I mean, you're caring about the wrong things if those are the things you're getting upset about. At the end of the day, it's a cartoon, and don't be attracted to a kid's cartoon. Just don't. I'm sorry. Yeah. Just don't do it. Just, just don't listen. do it. There are make better choices. Be... There are other things to be attracted to, like your vocation or uh, real people. Or if you're not attracted to real people, uh, be attracted. I don't know. Look. Uh, Everyone can be attracted to anything. Just don't care too much about it, especially if it's a cartoon, unless it's that one person from uh, Chip Dill's Rescue Rangers, in which case, don't change her. Gadget? Don't change Gadget. Okay. Look, real red-blooded Americans... I'm just saying if they redesign Gadget for some kind of... You are interrupting me so much tonight. If it's some kind of reboot... This is unprecedented. If it's some kind of reboot... That's like the fourth time you've interrupted me. Like, I'm about to kick off into a thing, and you just come in. And I wasn't going to bite my tongue, but Jesus, what is happening tonight? I'm just saying, listen, I'll say my piece and then you This can is say the it. least chemistry we've ever had. This is the most chemistry we've ever had. You keep cutting me off. I have a lot of things to say, particularly when it comes to gadget. 
My joke wasn't even that good. I'm going to drop it. Okay, no, you can say your joke. It wasn't that good. I don't even have the end of it. It was. I was going to make it up on the fly. Isn't that the most humiliating thing when someone <sighs> forces you to tell a joke you were about to tell? Yeah, I'm not going to do it. Okay, here's what we'll do. I'll, sto- I'll stop the joke I was going to say. Tell me about <laughs> Gadget, motherfucker. I was just going to say if they redesign Gadget, uh, I've planted four pipe bombs in the Chicago Stadium. Uh, and then I was going to do like a parody thing. Listen, we'll they're let bygones be gone. They're making a Chip and Dale like Disney Plus thing. Sure, that sounds fun. Listen, this is our first... Our first what? This is our first on-air apology. I apologize to you, Henry, for cutting you off. No, it's okay. I thought it was funny. That's the only reason why I brought it up. Anyway, what I was going to say is... God damn isn't it! Isn't that funny? Isn't that classic when people like apologize for interrupting and then they have to... Anyway, please, continue. I got nothing! There's nothing to continue! <laughs> I'm done! I've said my bits! I've done my goofs, my, my gigamups... <laughs> I've never heard that phrase before. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Just a classic, classic phrase in comedy and and, Cla- and and hosting gigamups. Yeah, I've done my gigamups. <laughs> Hold on, I won't look that up. How do you spell that? Well, you know, gig is in like gig economy. Yeah, G I G. And then apostrophe E-M. <laughs> apostrophe E-M. And then ups as in like U-P-S. Uh-huh. Like one word or multiple words? No, it's, it's they're all spaced. Okay, gig, gig um ups. M ups. Okay, I gotcha, I gotcha. Oh, fucking gadget. <laughs> I did, and it, t- it would take a cartoon mouse to get in between us. Hey. I, I really thought I would have something, but yeah, I don't know. I, I actually was never attracted to Gadget as a child, though many people were. Not, see, I, the, the weird thing is like, okay, I I see the sex appeal in Lola Bunny from Space Jam. Like, it's there. It is in your face. It, it, like, it is on purpose because it was in the 90s and like to make a, a, a woman character in the 90s meant over sexualizing them to the point of like you know kind of like parody um so i see it but i never bought into it or or like i was a kid you know i i never i didn't have like feelings of attraction until much later in life yeah i mean there's this certain school of like pretty skeezy don bluthiness Mm. uh, about certain characters i don't know i think that maybe people found those characters attractive later. I don't know. It's, uh... What a weird topic we uncovered. Well, no, and I don't want to dive into it at all because, uh, I think to do so without someone representing, you know, that faction would be just silly because it would be like, this is so weird. I don't get it. Oh, welcome to my podcast. <laughs> welcome to my podcast about, where I judge people. I judge people with different opinions. And that's not what we do here at Zero Credits at all. Yeah. So we got to get a real pervert on the show. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> all right. So if, you, uh, if you're a pervert and you want to come on the show. Yeah. If, if you're a real weirdo. 
Casting um, call, open call, cattle yeah. call for all weirdos, pervs, and sickos. Normies need not apply. <laughs> if you weren't sexually attracted to a bunny from the 90s, I don't want to speak to you. <laughs> I actually want to put that on a on a shirt, but at the end... It- <laughs> At the end, it says, like, I was born in Tennessee, so you'll need more than instructions to understand me. <laughs> what the fuck? Is that a big dog don't eat or whatever? <laughs> you know those, like, algorithmically designed t-shirts where it's like, oh. I'm an aunt who was born in September and has fibromyalgia, so you better stick a gun in your mouth. Yeah, no, so I feel like t-shirts are becoming more politically charged as time goes on until the... F- we're just going to be wearing our beliefs on our shirts like some type of dystopian novel that has not been written yet. I do have a white t-shirt that I've written in Sharpie. I just think people should have health care. <laughs> and I have a shirt that says, I don't get people who are sexually attracted to bunnies <laughs> from the 90s. The text continues on to the back. Oh, yeah, it just keeps going. Yeah, it just keeps going. It just the various people you don't agree with, the perverts, the sickos. Anyway, if you're a real sicko, all of this yes. is in jest. No, we are judging you hard. Uh yeah, <laughs> we're we're that's what we do. Uh let's no, just get okay. uh yeah, let's let's, uh, do it. let's let's get a vor person on here. You want oh, I don't yeah, I don't get vor. That's the point. Yeah. You and I don't get this, so that's why we, we should need to start talk to them. bringing. Yeah, we should start and, and bringing guests on. Here's a list of questions: Why are you such a freak? <laughs> Does the government know you're such a freak? Yeah, how are they tracking you? They should be. Are your parents aware of your proclivities? Yeah. Once again, cannot. And stress their enough. names are a number, so I can <laughs> call them and rat you out. What's their signal? <laughs> no, let's get guests on the show to talk about Vor. I mean, it would be great if we had any guest on the show with differing opinions than our own. That would be nice. For those of you who don't know, Vor is art depicting um one person eating another whole, and that is uh, sexually arousing to people. Hey, I mean, there's there's something for everybody. Emphasis on the whole, not in pe- bits and pieces. Yeah, that's a different thing. That That's like cannibalism. That's some Army Hammer shit. Yes, and we definitely want Army Hammer on the podcast to discuss this. I'm willing to sacrifice a toe. I mean, I feel like our listenership would just tank if we got Army Hammer. I'm sorry. Yeah, we shouldn't have people who send sexually aggressive, unwarranted text messages to people. So if we found, like, a consensual army hammer... Yeah, a consensual cannibal. Yeah, those exist. There's this whole thing that happened in Germany. I know, I've I've read it. I know. Yeah, fascinating. Weird. What are we doing? What... We were talking about the Oscars, and now we're we're opening a cattle call to consensual cannibals. That's right, a triple C. The uh, casting call for consensual, consensual cannibals. cannibals. Also a classic vocal warm-up. Uh, John, that's four Cs. Yeah, didn't I say classic four Cs? You said triple. Isn't that four? No. What's triple? Three. Fuck. 
All right. If you want to be on a podcast with two people who don't understand you but are willing to listen and learn your uh, perspective, John's going to tell you how to get in contact with us. That's right. You can send us on tweet. <laughs> Did you, you say can and s- tweet? <laughs> I said you can s- <laughs> You can send what us you s- on tweet. Okay, clean. Oh, my God. You can send us a tweet on Twitter, uh, the preferred platform of sickos, uh, psychopaths, and malcontents. You can send that to ZCPCWHJ on Twitter.com, which stands for Henry. That stands for Zzzz. That's right. And if you want to send us an email, you know, real anonymous, like about the things that you do. Isn't it weird how like plastic bags are like, they're like wrinkly. And if you want to send us an email, you can do that too. They go like crinkle, crinkle, crinkle. At zero credits. .net. Send us a long anonymous email and then pray that it doesn't live in your drafts folder. You can put then... stuff in them too. Like it's like crazy. Your boss finds it and then they, uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I tried to create a scenario where like people fire you for finding out that you have certain. Proclivities. But you can't recycle them. You can't recycle them. It's weird. But, you know, maybe your boss is fine with it and they shouldn't anyway. People should be able to do whatever they want. We're on Spotify. Uh, search for Zero Credits Podcast in the Spotify, and we'll be there in I your... I think I like a paper, like a plastic bag full of paper clips. Playlist. We are on Apple Podcasts. One of the best ways for people to hear about the show is for you to uh, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have an Apple device, perhaps a... Uh, Do paper Apple... clips set off metal detectors? An iMac, MacBook Pro, anything. Are you ignoring me? Do paper clips set off metal detectors? Uh, aren't they aluminum? They wouldn't, right? It has to be a okay. ferrous metal. That, that's that's good knowledge. <laughs> that's, that's good knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> that's good knowledge. Is that your like Scooby Doo sidekick uh, catchphrase? What are you gonna do? <laughs> You're a character on Scooby-Doo and you say two things. You say, what are you going to do? That's good that's, knowledge. That's good knowledge. Uh, if they're aluminum, no, they wouldn't. Also, I think there's like a mass thing. Oh, it's got to be like a big thing. And if you're a big thing. God uh, damn it. <laughs> you got me. If you're a big thing, you can do the big thing. The thing that makes you bigger than other people, which is tell people about the things that you love, such as the Zero Creds podcast, if you love it, or you can lie and say you love it when really you hate it. You're a hate listener, you pervert. Uh, you can tell your friends about the podcast because word of the mouth is the only way we can survive. Uh, so in the world of post-internet, the only way for us to get a listener on Yon Podcast is for you to tell them last do it was that iambic pentameter did did you did you tell some of our listeners they were burned burned did i did you go you burned did that is that (laughs) what did you say in that moment i uh don't remember (laughs) okay um great all right so next week we're going to be coming right at you you're burned then you have earned okay. the right oh my God. to tell. It's not iambic pentameter. 
It's like a horse galloping, Henry. I don't know if you've ever heard of no. Miami Pentameter before. I have. I've ridden it and I hate it, but it's short, long, short, long, short, long, short, long. Okay. <laughs> That's it. Next week, we're coming at you with the second edition of our uh, The Summer of Godzilla, which my my wife, Jamie, desperately wants me to rename, and I'm going to float this by you. Um, Hot Godzilla Summer. Hot Godzilla Summer. Okay, I... I like it, but with a provision. Okay, provide. Do you know who Tom Hanks is? And his son, Chet Hanks, who has said this is going to be white boy summer. Yes. Yes. Uh, I would be okay with calling it Hot Godzilla Summer if and only if it is an adversarial force to white yes. boy summer. Yeah. This is an opposition. This is not supporting white boy summer. Um, just because, uh, look, I don't like the word white boy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like white boys. And if we're being totally honest, I don't even like summer. Yeah. So hot Godzilla summer. We're coming. Okay. Next week. This is what's going to happen. What is so hard to understand? <laughs> what next don't you week, get? <laughs> next week is the second edition of hot Godzilla summer. We're going to be covering skull. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be covering Kong Skull Island, a supplemental reading, uh, number two, the third week of our 10. And that's going to happen next week. Uh, so tune in for that. But from everyone here at the White Boys Studios apartment studios, we both live in houses now. Studios, we want to wish you a happy week. Goodbye. Good. But why did I do it? I'm editing this week. What? No, you did the stuff. I don't did know. What, I'm very did what tired. Stuff? It's uh, shut up. What are you talking about? We're walking away. Okay. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye, John. Goodbye. I'm sorry I yelled at you. Goodbye. I'm sorry for interrupting. No, it's okay. I, I'm not sorry. I'm so tired. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I would do that again.